This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful-looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. In the early years of digital signage networks, particularly those that were ad-based, operators would often describe how their medium was captive. The proposition was that people stuck doing something, usually waiting, would pass their time looking at a screen. Then smartphones came along and there went that notion, except in places like gas stations where people still needed to be somewhat focused on the task at hand. A company called GSTV has been running a digital signage channel on the screens of fuel dispensers for almost two decades and is deployed at more than 25,000 locations in the United States. The company dominates its category and the mix of programming on the pump screens has 100 million unique viewers a month. The pitch to planners is far more sophisticated these days than the captive audience thing. Something very obvious in this talk with CEO Sean McCaffrey who gets into a lot of detail about the benefits for consumer brands and for the gas station and C-Store operators who work with GSTV. Sean, thank you for joining me. It's, it's, it's almost weird to think about, but your company and your medium is actually a pretty mature medium now. It is. It is. I, I still look at it as very new. I've been with the business five and a half years, and I uh, when I describe it to people at a backyard barbecue and they ask what I do, I say I run a six-year-old startup that ha- happened to have a 10-year proof of concept. So to your point, <laughs> uh, we've, we've been around for 15 years plus, uh, kind of as a sector, if you will. Can you, for people who maybe don't live in the United States, uh, describe what it is? Sure. What goes sure. on? Yeah, no problem. So, so GSTV is a national digital video platform. Uh, that's in 205 U.S. markets out of 210. We reach about 15% or 50, excuse me, percent of U.S. adults uh, every month, about 116 monthly unique viewers. And we uh, connect with consumers uh, three to five minutes at a time, three to five times a month uh, when they're fueling up their vehicle. So think about it. Think about it as a very habitual serialized engagement week in and week out when someone stops to fuel up as they're running errands on a road trip, you know, on their way to the ball game on a Saturday, that sort of thing. And we partner with the fuel and convenience retailers uh, in in the U.S. uh, to put in this amenity, provide information, entertainment, that sort of thing, and focus on building value for brands, agencies, retailers, and consumers. And we work with a variety of large chains, small chains, uh, middle market, kind of everything in between. And the nut of it is you've got a screen embedded in the fuel dispenser. Correct. So uh, we, our screens come embedded in the fuel equipment, and this is a long-term hardware purchase decision, obviously, for the for the fuel retailers. Mm-hmm. So um, the retailers get it as an amenity, and they get a small amount of promotional time within our show. Um, there's shared economics amongst the parties, obviously, as well. And then we build a consumer experience uh, that uh, provides value to the retailers, value to the consumers, and then brands and agencies can integrate in any number of ways. So we program, the way, way we look at it is we program a show every day. 
Um, every station is like an addressable household. Uh, the household just has more family members, I guess. So we could have um, tens of thousands of different versions of the show out there on any given day, depending on what content and what advertising is running. Now, we don't go uh, probably down to that level of customization just based on how brands use it. But think about um, urban, suburban, weekday, weekend, um, all those lake and, and beach communities, let's say, all summer long that are a very different population from Thursday to Sunday, let's say, in July versus January. So lots of ways to customize uh, the entertainment, the content, the commercial advertising, and so on. I, I have a, a, a bit of a past with this stuff going back to like the early to mid-2000s when uh, there was a Canadian company also looking at this. And at that time, it was extraordinarily challenging to put a piece of electronics on a fuel dispenser that's sitting on top of a uh, reservoir of thousands of gallons of flammable liquid. <laughs> it, uh, it, it was a little nerve wracking. Is it now a, kind of a standard uh, piece of kit, so to speak, for the fuel dispenser manufacturers like the Gil Barcos of the world? It is, it is. And, and you're right, that era in the early to mid 2000s, not just not just in our space, but really in in broader digital signage or digital auto home, if you will, in general, um, mm -hmm. there were there were a lot bigger hardware, uh, literally and figuratively, a lot bigger hardware and software uh, challenges to solve. Now, they're not done today, but all of this has come a long way. So for our business, business today, yes, it's a very standard part of what um, our great partners at Dover and Gil Barco both produce. Uh, the retailer can make a choice on the equipment that they want to buy, um, and everything comes kitted out for them. There's an upgrade opportunity if they have equipment already. There's a new equipment purchase opportunity. There. So there's obviously several different SKUs of, of hardware product they can buy. Uh, and then it's all IP addressable and, and all enabled that our team runs. Um, and we have a network operating center that it's all built on, uh, enabled programmatically in terms of scheduling as well. So it's, it's really come a long way. I think, um, you know, anyone that is involved in digital signage or the digital out of home space knows that mid 2000s era, call it, you know, 15 plus 20 years ago, there were lots and lots of networks trying to put signage out there sort of in hopes, I think advertising would follow. Um, a lot of it was probably solution in search of a problem, as they mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and today, you know, we're, we're very focused on sort of our place in, in, in um, the value proposition, so to speak. So our retail partners, you know, they really care about that 20 foot consumer journey, someone fueling mm -hmm. up and then, and then going in the store and buying anything. The hardware partners, they want a great product and to be able to offer this as an amenity. And then for consumers, um, our time is precious today. So while it's not uh, a channel selection, you know, you're not going to binge watch hours and hours of our programming, let's say, in the way you might uh, Netflix or, or Peacock. Uh, it is an opportunity to provide value to consumers, entertainment information, that sort of thing. So it has come a long way in all regards, I think, not just the hardware. And so you can retrofit an existing fuel dispenser, right? You, uh, yes. They're, they're some of the oldest SKUs of hardware, not um, necessarily, but yes, for the most part, I've, it's a, a, a generally a, an upgrade available. And is is that something you put on top of it or or, or you, you replace the, the screen that's no, already it, in there? Yeah, it replaces the equipment that's there. So there was a um, one of the reasons that the businesses came together 
in a joint venture in, in early 2017 uh, was, first of all, to provide some scale in the this, in this space. But second is there was a push from the credit card companies for a payment processing upgrade. So the EMV technology, uh, Europe, Europe MasterCard Visa, there was mm-hmm. a, a requirement from the credit card companies that all the fuel and convenience retailers in the US had to upgrade their credit card uh, technology. So that was an obvious time then for every retailer to decide sort of um, a, a larger upgrade cycle, what they wanted to do. Um, and many of them chose to augment it with screens that they didn't have previously. So this is not a build it and they will come thing at all where you're uh, incurring the capital costs to put this in. It's it's the, the fuel retailer? Correct. That was the earlier generation mm-hmm. uh, of the business where um, some of the predecessor companies you probably know or the, the company that you mentioned, where the there were screens that sat on top of the fuel dispensers of mm-hmm. various sizes. And you then incurred every challenge you have um, beyond CapEx, right? Just the, the installation, the maintenance, that sort of thing. These are all dispenser integrated units. So the, the CapEx is built into the economics uh, amongst the various parties. And is the primary motivation to get people into the store and to trigger into the convenience store because most few retailers these days seem to have you know a retail associated with it or is it the revenue share uh, that they might see out of it or they do see out of it uh, it's primarily to drive people in store um, mm-hmm. you know a, a couple of percentage points growth and soda and snack sales um, is I think a lot more interesting uh, to most than the advertising revenue. That's not to say the advertising revenue is not substantial or interesting, but um, there's lots and lots of data that uh, the industry publishes every year here in the U.S. about the volume of consumers that fuel up and just drive away, don't go in store, the volume that do go in store and what they purchase. And so any opportunity to drive sales in store and raise basket size once somebody is in store um, get you to buy a snack instead of just a soda, get you uh, a snack and a soda and a lottery ticket, you know, you name it, um, mm-hmm. is is useful. And there's a, a, a great deal of sophistication in the space as well. I think most consumers in the U.S. are familiar with the largest brands, the, the 7-Elevens, the Circle Ks, that sort of thing. Um, but there are a number of uh, ma- what I'll call major and mid-major regional chains, um, anywhere from 800 to 1,000 stores down to maybe 50 to 100 stores where they've got a loyalty app, they've got a promotional program, very sophisticated folks in the space um, that I think um, a lot would be surprised uh, about to learn. Um, I think the difference in fuel and convenience in the U.S. converse to, let's say, grocery or big box, um, some of the other large physical retail channels. Um, there isn't the consolidated ownership that you see in those spaces. So at times, I don't think consumers really understand the, the size of the sector. But the fuel and convenience space is more than 3% of U.S. GDP. So it's a huge economic driver. Wow. Um, and so back to the retailer. Um, yeah, the retailer cares about that 20-foot consumer journey and getting more people to come in and then buy more once they go inside. I, I'm assuming that in the early days, you were kind of selling the dream that if you do this, people will go into the store. But now there, you know, the, the, there's analytics, there's the level of sophistication that can give you some data that will prove out that, yeah, this they, they saw this and then this happened. Or it, how does that work? A- absolutely. It's a great question. So obviously, the retailers have their own uh, first party data relative to sales. So they have they have an understanding most directly if something's being advertised. 
uh, out in the forecourt and then uh, sales go up in the store, they know. But we work with a number of third-party partners, uh, IRI and Catalina as two examples to measure sales lift both in the C-store uh, and then at nearby and adjacent grocery stores, big box retailers, pharmacies, that sort of thing. Because you know, there's an old cliche in advertising, right, that half my advertising works. I just don't know which half. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's, that's not been good enough for a long time. So um, we had 135, I think the number is. Uh, research studies in the field last year with clients from upper funnel analytics, brand favorability, brand recall, down to much more lower funnel, uh, direct sales and sales lift metrics. And so we've been we've been at that for five plus years now, and and we start to see to some degree what you would expect. In other words, for CPG products in the field and convenience store, um, for very mature trademark brand, you know, large scale products. We might see one, two, three percent sales lift, uh, which is huge for mm-hmm. really established, you know, CPG brands. For newer brands, line, brand extensions, things like that, we might see high single digit, low double digit sales lift, which is also great. Um, and that's been validated by a number of the CPG brands that we work with as well. Obviously, the larger ones have you know very sophisticated in-house marketing sciences teams and do all sorts of market mix modeling. So even though we you know we fund studies with IRI and Catalina, which are we're really well established partners, they um, also do you know the brands also do their own modeling and, and report good results. So um, it's a lot of what you would expect, I think, in that there's an opportunity to drive someone for an impulse convenience purchase when they're 20 feet away if they're slightly hungry or slightly thirsty. Or, um, you know, many of the fuel and convenience retailers have pretty sophisticated food service programs these days. And so if somebody's grabbing lunch or dinner, they've got a lot of choices. They can go to a grocery store and get prepared meal. They can go to a drive through at a QSR next door. Or in some cases, they can go inside the fuel and convenience retailer and get pizzas and sandwiches and other things. So, um, you know, we, um, we've got hungry consumers uh, and a big opportunity to influence them. But from a measurement standpoint, uh, we've got lots of ways to draw a straighter line, I guess, between the advertising mm. impression and the business outcome. If you're doing that volume of research uh, that suggests there's still, and repeat suggests, that there's still some skepticism in, uh, among the brands that, okay, prove, prove to me that this works. I wouldn't characterize it as uh, skepticism as much as I think there's a, a spectrum depending on the category. So, in, for example, you know, an auto brand, the KPIs that they're looking for are dealer visits or or site visits or someone mm-hmm. going in and starting to build a vehicle. CPG brands obviously looking at sales, um, financial services brands, card usage, card signups, that sort of thing. So, depending on the category, uh, we've commercialized. Uh, research capability with a couple of the household names, so you know, Foursquare, Axiom, MasterCard, IRI, Catalina, and, and plenty of others. Um, so our sales and marketing team can simply say yes when a client says, can we measure it? Um, there are some categories that are more mature for us, for sure. Um, auto, CPG, um, financial services, insurance, you name it. There are some that are earlier ado- or earlier adopters to us. Entertainment's one, for example, where you know we can show the trailer, we can tell somebody to tune in tonight binge watch it this weekend, et cetera. Um, and so we've got a good diversity amongst categories. Um, so in some cases, it's a newer brand and they want to test and learn and then measure and grow. In other cases, it's brands where measurement is just a part of every single thing they do, uh, to my earlier point. So uh, when I came up in advertising, I worked in uh, a legacy radio business, a legacy billboard business, where those are classically regarded as more, call it upper funnel reach media, where mm-hmm. we weren't we weren't typically asked to measure business outcomes or direct results. And I think today, especially in the current economic environment, but particularly over the last decade, advertisers are looking to measure every 
marketing dollar that they spend, realizing it doesn't all do the same thing, right? The Super Bowl ad is not the same as a you know a buy it now ad on social media or something like that. But um, the research that we do um, is some well-established clients um, and um, some new clients, but I wouldn't say it relates to skepticism, more so just mm-hmm. that brands today expect everything to be measured. And you, you also, I believe in the last two or three years have introduced capabilities to not only push people into, you know, the 20 feet across the forecourt into the C store there, but to the grocery that might be five blocks away, that sort of thing is, is how, why did that happen? And, and what are you seeing out of that? Yeah. Um, so we, the, the interesting thing, uh, I've learned more than I ever thought I would know about the fuel and convenience space, much less consumer behavior on the mm. day people fuel. But we, so we, we um, produced some research about five years ago with MasterCard, and then we did an updated version with a lot deeper dive the last year um, with um, Affinity Solutions, which has credit card and loyalty card data to basically look at the way people spend money every hour of the day, every day of the week, online, offline, with then one filter, if you will, added the day people fuel up and is anything different? And it turns out it's really different. Fuel day is a surrogate for a lot more grocery shopping, a lot more QSR visitation, a lot more pharmacy stops, you know, big box retail, do it yourself, that sort of thing. So fuel day is a very differentiated day for consumer behavior and consumer spending. So with the rise of retail media um, as a investment channel over the last couple of years, in other words, Walmart starting a media network and Kroger starting a media network, we started having more and more of our CPG partners come to us and say, hey, we want to we apply this sort of thinking, this retail media, commerce media um, thinking in the fuel and convenience space, but there isn't anyone with consolidated scale in the way there is in grocery and big box. So as big as the biggest retailers are in our industry, uh, you put a couple of, you put the top five together, they, they have less than 20% of the sector. Um, so we are the largest consolidated network in U.S. fuel and convenience in terms of ad-supported media. So uh, we launched uh, a, a product called GSTV Amplify, which is really a parallel path. Number one, it's about driving sales in the fuel and convenience stores, which is critically important. And then number two, it's recognizing that our consumers are five, six, seven times more likely um, and spending that much more on the same day to go next door to a grocery store, QSR, you name it. So the the agencies and brands that are spending money across retail media and grocery, retail media and big box, they can leverage that data. They can apply that thinking with us. Um, you know, I had one I had one um, head of investment <clears throat> at an agency say to me, so this is basically the last TV ad someone can watch before they go into the grocery store. And I said, well, if that mm-hmm. you know if that framework helps for you, sure, that that's one way to look at it. So. Um, we're in the solutions business. So from a scale standpoint, you know, I mentioned, um, sort of our business, if you took the food and beverage sales, uh, at our stores, uh, compared to the largest grocery chains, we're the 10th largest grocer in America. If you added fuel to that, like Kroger and Albertsons do when they, uh, mm-hmm. when they count the numbers, we're the fifth largest behind Walmart, Albertsons, uh, Costco and, and, uh, or excuse me, Kroger and Albertsons. I'm obviously not selling produce. I'm obviously not building physical retail stores, but I say it just to give an example of the consumer purchasing power. And that right. that's that's what brands and agencies are trying to find, you know, the proverbial right place, right time, right moment to impact, to find real attention and impact consumer behavior. So is there any kind of an audit trail? So if, if, I, if I'm on my big shop day and I stop at a fuel retailer, use my MasterCard to buy... 12 gallons or whatever it is. And then I go to Costco and then I go to, well, if it's me, I'll probably go to the wine store or something, but is, is, is that 
traceable? Is there is there a way of saying, okay, Dave did this at 11, he got fuel at 11, and at 11.30 he bought stuff at Costco and so on? So, so yes and no, in the sense that yes, we can do what you're describing. No, we're not tracking Dave specifically, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we do not collect first party data. So right. off, off, often a question I get is, well, people are swiping the credit card at the fuel dispenser, so you know it's me. Um, we do not, we do not uh, collect and track that, that um, credit card data or any other data. What, right. we have, what we have is a naturally data-rich environment. There is that credit card swipe. There is a device ID typically um, in the vehicle or on the person. And device IDs and credit cards are, are well-worn ways to connect to household identity graphs, um, loyalty card data, other ways. So yes, so what you described, we do with partners. Um, so depending on the category, CPG brand, auto brand, you name it, we can do that, that walk back to impact, uh, to show sales lift or brand lift or any mm-hmm. number of other KPIs. We do do some direct surveys. We, there, are, there are companies, obviously, that do mobile location surveys um, that push to advertisers for different things. Um, but we, we work with well-established, privacy-compliant industry partners to track that, um, as well as work with many of our brand and agency partners directly, um, because the big, the big agencies all have their own data operations these days. Most of the big brands have an in-house marketing sciences team tracking all this. So what we decided to do um, when we were launching our, our approach to data analytics and research is not to build another black box that nobody was asking for or nobody needed. Um, what the big ag- agencies and brands said to us is, we, we just need an input. We need to be able to input the GSV exposure into our tools the same way we Im, uh, input a CTV impression or uh, you know a YouTube impression or you name it, so they can understand impact on the campaign because it's obviously never one thing. You know all of these ad impressions um, combine to provide impact to the to the to brand and agency. But it's it's one of the things that was interesting to me when I considered joining the business is it is much more of a mid to lower funnel. Uh, ad exposure opportunity. It's naturally frequency capped, right? We're going to see somebody three to five times a month, not three to five times a day when that banner ad, you know, follows you around the internet kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that we do have these data signals that we can use again in a privacy compliant way to track success metrics is, is important and, and differentiating for us. Is it easier to do all that stuff now because of all the API integrations and AI and everything that's come along as opposed to in the past where, Yes, we have that data, but we're not sharing it with you. It has, um, I think, because uh, for a lot of different reasons, whether it's the rise of retail media, whether it's the um, acceleration of machine learning at tools and this sort of stuff, or the big agencies all purchasing their own uh, or building their own um, data operations, whether it's uh, Epsilon, Axiom, Merkle, that sort of thing, or, or others like Omni and Omnicom. Yes, everybody understands they need they need a privacy-compliant, consumer-opted-in way to track this stuff. But then it's also important to have interoperability between all of this to measure. It doesn't do anybody good to have a bunch of you know increasing increasing walled gardens, right? So today, I think whether it's a cooperation uh, type environment or industry standard environment, it's a lot easier. Um, mm-hmm. Combine combine with then the changes, at least in the U.S. market, combine with the changes in the advertising market over the last decade. In other words, you know the value of the living room wall. Um, is certainly challenged now compared to when I was a kid, right? And there were three TV channels and um, it was, you know, every night was must see TV. Today, we spend our time as consumers quite differently. 
Uh, and that change was only accelerated with COVID as far as people's mm-hmm. splintered viewing habits. And then the disruption in signal loss and digital now with uh, device IDs and, and, and um, uh, other things being sunsetted, the, the uh, deprecation of cookies. It's moving most advertisers into more, I think, middle of the funnel analysis. In other words, not everything is a buy it now button sort of conversion, mm-hmm. uh, the, the proverbial last click attribution of, you know, a decade ago. So for us, you know, GSTV, what, what we hear often from our advertising partners anyway, is we have the scale of broadcast, which they like because most categories, you just still need a lot of people. Uh, we've got some level of digital muscle memory for targeting attribution. Uh, and then it is this real world consumer opportunity, which is what people generally get excited about around mobile and out of home. So it has the sort of DNA of, of several different things that are interesting to advertisers. And, um, you know, we've built a team uh, around the business on the sales and marketing side that comes from a variety of big firms in the digital and video space on our retail success team. Uh, I have a great team that literally helped build the network going back 10 years plus. Um, and those two teams really parallel path our commercial relationships and client service. So we have a retail success team that is just as focused on the commercial relationships we have with our retailers and our hardware partners, as is our sales and marketing teams focus on the brands and agencies. For over a decade, ScreenFeed has been the reliable choice for beautifully designed, licensed content such as news and weather. We handle over 27 million requests a day to deliver dynamic content to 200,000 screens across the globe. Now we bring you ScreenFeed Connect, a no-code solution that makes complex content projects easy. Projects that used to take our designers and developers weeks became a to-do we could complete before lunch. The easy-to-use browser-based tool leverages pre-built data connections and ready-made widgets to give you the power to design with data. Create team member profiles, schedules, tenant directories, progress boards, featured products, or anything that leverages your data. Discover how Connect empowers you to complete projects faster at screenfeed.com. The, the retail success team that's nurturing the footprint that you already have, are, are you still building that footprint or is it kind of built out? Uh, yes, we continue to build it. So there's a natural upgrade cycle that still happens every month, every quarter, every year where um, we have retailers deciding to upgrade their equipment and add new sites. Uh, And then we have a very, very high 95 plus percent renewal rate from uh, retailers that have us already. Uh, And so the network is uh, about a third of the fuel and convenience sector in the U.S. today. At some point, it'll probably get north of half. Um, And then beyond that, there's a point where um, we've probably... Um, ended up getting every retailer who's wanted this as an amenity Um, because it is a different retailer. It's a retailer that Mm -hmm. is generally a little more focused on the customer experience, a little more focused on forecourt to store conversion, a little more focused on uh, end-to-end sort of promotional comms and so on. So we're not, there is not a mission here to get every fuel and convenience retailer in the U.S. just Mm -hmm. due to the nature of the space. But yeah, we we continue to grow every month, uh, every quarter, every year. It's a, a case where it sounds like you have most of the the markets that you'd want to be in anyway. So once you get to all that number, I forget what you said it was two twenty or two forty or something. That at, at that point, adding more screens maybe doesn't matter all that much, right? Yeah, we're we're not necessarily focused. Uh, it, it, yes, you're right. It's one way to look at it, um, but it, I wouldn't say that we'll be happy once we um, feel like we've we've partnered with every 
fuel and convenience retail in the U.S. who likes us. I think their business continues to change. So as they think about forecourt to store conversion, integration with their loyalty apps and promotions, we're talking to some commerce partners, some loyalty partners, different people like that, where can we potentially provide a service and another service and amenity to the retailers? You know, not everyone has the wherewithal or the financial you know, structure to build that on their own. Um, can we go into parallel and adjacent spaces? So um, we've typically not gone inside the store. Uh, we've not wanted to compete with our retailers in a way, but mm-hmm. several, have, several have come to us lately um, wondering um, about their own sort of digital consumer experience journey and is there opportunity to partner together. So we're talking about that. And then the actual incorporation of the company, we do business as GSTV, but the actual incorporation of the company is Destination Media. And there's some thought to that in the sense that, um, you know, we are a national digital video platform, uh, consume, the literal consumer journey. There might be other um, places and spaces, high dwell time environments where uh, it's somewhat similar to what we do today, where there's a premium audience we can define in entertainment and information amenity. And so are there opportunities to continue to diversify our consumer touch points, um, sort of plat- um, you know, channels within a platform type environment where we can provide some additional value to, to the people we think about today, which is a long way of saying we're not going to build more screens or buy more screens just to get more screens. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do think there's some natural one plus one equals three, four, four, or five. Um, with other uh, potentially parallel channels or, or spaces beyond just the fuel and convenience store. Yeah, you would think that uh, my experience is end user customers are not looking for more technology vendors. They'd like to slim out the number that they have. So if you have enabling technology that could do you know, the video marketing inside the stores, that they'd probably be pretty motivated to go that way as opposed to sourcing some other vendor. We agree. I think um, there's a moment in time right now that to me feels a bit like that era you referenced earlier. In other words, Mm -hmm. the mid-2000s, where I think there's a lot of people, at least this moment in time, running around suggesting hang screens anywhere you can hang screens, create experiences, sell ads. And and there's almost a suggestion that it's just that simple or just that easy. And anybody, anybody that's done it knows it's not, and it's really hard. And and also it needs to be there for a reason that, that mm-hmm. era, that era in the mid two thousands, there's a lot of networks that were well-funded um, and, and great management um, and, you know, 08 recession aside, uh, never really got off the ground because they, they were building a solution that really no one was looking for versus today. I think Mm -hmm. um, whether you're building a commercial real estate project and you're considering digital signage or you're doing something like we are, you have to think about your, your, how are you providing value? And for us, we're, we're doing something that would otherwise be overhead for the retailers and difficult to do at scale. Um, And it was challenging when there were five or six companies doing what we're doing and and they Mm -hmm. all were pretty small. It was tough to get the attention of larger brands and agencies and so on. So yeah, whether it's the the hardware and software capability or the sales and marketing engine or the combination thereof, uh, we're happy with uh, with what we've built so far. By no means do we think we're done, but we're looking to be a solutions provider to partners. And if somebody has a network um, or is considering building a network and we think we can provide value, we're certainly going to talk to them. Do you have competition? There is a uh, one small provider um, in in our space uh, that has a couple, I believe, a couple of hundred locations right now. Um, there, they work with a different hardware provider that we're uh, contractually unable to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not really focused on on um, folks in the fuel and convenience space because that's not where 
uh, I say from an advertising standpoint, excuse me, right. obviously we're, we're very focused on the fuel and convenience space from a, a retail partner standpoint, but from an advertising standpoint, I often get, well, who's your competition? Is it um, people in the movie theaters or is it people in the airports or the malls? And um, no, I mean, we don't, we don't sell um, screens. Uh, we don't charge, you know, a hundred dollars a screen or mm-hmm. $200 a location we sell an audience um, and you can slice and dice that audience a number of different ways. So when we go to talk to advertising partners, it it might be um, a major national CPG this morning and they're launching a new product in the Southeast this summer. And we're talking about that. Uh, We might have lunch with a television team at a big agency who's trying to find still, I mean, people still buy adults 2054 and reach curves and things like that. And then late afternoon, it might be a digital out of home team at an agency who's looking for proximity to a QSR. Um, and they want everything within five miles of a you know particular QSR. So um, we're um, competing for ad dollars in the television space, the digital video space, the retail media space, the digital out of home space. And we don't have the luxury to say we're only one of those things, but I think we've got the opportunity uh, to compete and take share across that spectrum. And and that's really how we've grown. So the business mm-hmm. is more than the business is more than doubled in size in the last couple of years. Uh, both in employees and revenue, um, and it's 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 mostly because our sources of advertising revenue have come from just a wider and wider part of the advertising landscape. Does, does the the business runway have an end to it because of the rise of EVs and EV charging stations and so on? I I would imagine it does, but I I think it's probably like fifteen twenty years out. Yeah, so we think we don't think of it as an end as much as an evolution, right? Mm-hmm. No one is no one is debating the emergence of EV um, vehicles. No one is debating sort of uh, the eventual um, roadmap of uh, electric vehicle charging. I think everyone, at least in in the U.S. anyway, everyone is debating how long is it going to take. Number one mm-hmm. and number two. Number two, perhaps most importantly, is how is it going to be paid for? Um, there's never going to be enough tax subsidies to support yeah. all of it. So there, we we announced um, last year. We announced a partnership with R Labs and ChargePoint to build an ad supported network with ChargePoint, who's the largest, currently largest provider by by a long shot, by a long stretch, um, by probably a factor of five, the largest EV um, charging infrastructure provider. Where just like our business today, we think there's an opportunity for an ad supported amenity to build out that infrastructure. Um, and there's a bunch of advertising supported models that have helped build out it critical infrastructure going back to the early days of television and radio and everything since, you know, ad supported models help build this out. So we're excited about the relationship with ChargePoint um, and a number of their partners. And we think the journey uh, for consumer behavior is going to be a long, long, long time, still a multi-decade transition. And as alluded to earlier, you know, the way we think about our business and the broader destination media sense is, is the platform and foundation we built in fuel and convenience is, is hugely important and hugely critical infrastructure today. But whether it's the EV platform that's really our second uh, network or a third, fourth, and fifth one to follow, mm-hmm. uh, we think uh, time spent outside the home is going to continue to grow. Uh, An ad-supported opportunity to identify those consumers, serve them something relevant, measure success on the campaign is going to continue to be critical. So we remain pretty excited about the future, um, both the business we have today and then the evolution that it can drive for us. Hmm. Uh, that was super interesting and time just flew by. I had a whole bunch of other questions to ask, but uh, we'll have to do this again if you're willing. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks again. All right. Talk soon. Take care. 
That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 69, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 169 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 169 is not a press release republishing mill, like a lot of this stuff out there. If something makes it on 169, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 169 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible, and the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 16.9, the blog and the podcast, are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage, for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house, located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.